Lord. Well, we left off last week uh, about learning about jealousy. But before we get into that, let me put us back in mind with where we were. Of course, we're learning about renewing the mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what that means, we've looked at is that when you were saved, when you came to Christ, if you have come to Him, that God put in you His nature and His kingdom. The kingdom of God is within. If you haven't come to Christ yet, that's not in you yet, but we can take care of that before the evening's out. But Because God makes it available to everybody. But the problem is, although God's put His kingdom in us, most, very few of us are living in very much of that kingdom on the outside. And Romans 12, 2 says that we are not to let the pressures of this world, and boy, this week has been a good example of that, the pressures of this world to make us look on the outside, talk on the outside, act on the outside like the rest of the world. We shouldn't be running around like Chicken Little with his head cut off, or as he the one said, the sky was falling in. That's mixing two stories about chickens together, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, But the point is, we shouldn't be running around like the world in a panic, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Because we have people that have hope. We are people that have the Word of God. We are people that have a God who is God over our lives and of our kingdom who's in charge and who, whatever bombings go off, doesn't bomb him. It doesn't shake him up. And he has an answer for this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that on the men on on Saturday. But but what we are to do is to be changed by the renewing of our mind. And that word changed means to take what God has deposited on the inside and bring that to the outside so that it can affect, first of all, us and then other people. And we've been learning that the process, how to do that. In order to do that, we had to understand, we had to find out where your mind is. Um, Where your mind is in the way God has designed you. Because God has designed us very purposefully, very intricately, and the mind has a very important role. And for some of us, the mind was everything, and for some of us, the mind was nothing. We're finding out that God made us in a way that we were to be led and dominated by our spirit. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and they live in your body. Your spirit is obviously of the spirit realm. Your body is of this natural material realm. And we learned that your soul is a connection, a bridge that connects your spirit and your body together to communicate with each other. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And everything is designed to influence your will because your will determines what you will do and what you will not do. That's why it's called your will. And, but your mind has a very important part to play in that. And that God designed that first man and woman, they were entirely led by their spirit. They were in perfect communion with God, and their spirit interpreted the will and the plan of God for their lives and over a situation, and then their mind figured out how to carry that out. So their mind was a tool to carry out the direction of their spirit to obey the spirit of God who was in them. When, when Satan came in and tempted them and they rebelled against God, this all got out of whack and they elevated their mind over their spirit, which was now fallen and separated from God. When you came to Christ, you were put back in that original order. God's now given you a spirit that, that, that is in the same position in you that that original spirit was in that original man. And the, God's intention is that we operate the same way, that we're sensitive to the guidance and direction of His spirit and that our mind is therefore given to us to understand what the spirit's telling us and then to figure out how to carry out those instructions. And so that's the order that God's designed for us. But, the, but when you came to Christ, the only part of you he changed was the spirit. He left the mind alone. That's our responsibility to change that. But the mind will not carry out the directions of the spirit until it learns to understand and to think the way God thinks. And that's in essence what renewing the mind is all about. 
Then we talked about what does it mean to renew the mind. And that's what we talked about last time. And it literally means to change how you think. And I taught you that, that when I went to law school, they didn't teach us much of the law. What they did is they changed how we thought. So that in a situation where there was a, an accident or something, which I didn't do much of those, but, but you were, we were trained that under the law, there are five, I think there's still five, there are five elements of a tort. And, and whatever story you would tell me, I'm listening for those five elements. Because if I can't prove all those five elements, as much as you were think you were wrong, you're not entitled to recovery unless we could establish to the court those five things. I also use the example of Starbucks. Because Starbucks, you go and you, or whatever, it's not just Starbucks, but I, I know Starbucks because I've asked them. I said, how do you get all these orders straight? Mine's real simple. It's medium-sized hot black coffee. That's it, because that's the way God made it. That's my theory. So, right? Don't write letters to me, but anyway. So mine are simple. I could, they can remember that. But some people come with these complicated orders of half of this and three-quarters of that. And I say, how do you remember that? And they say, because regardless of what you tell us, we've been trained the order in which to listen to it. In other words, their minds were renewed. And life comes at us all kinds of ways. Sometimes fast and furious, sometimes it's slow and drawn out, and most of the time, unless we've disciplined our minds, we handle information just the way it comes to us. So we're kind of subject to the way it comes to us. So that's why we sit and listen to news, and and we, you know, we just, whatever they say, we take in. Well, I was trained not to do that. I don't just take in everything I hear. I think about what I hear and think about what they're saying and think, first of all, how do you know what you're saying? See, that's part of my training. My, even though it was 40-some years ago, I went through that process. My mind, 40-some years ago, my mind, my, <laughs> mind can, my mind still operates in that way. And so it's a training. And so what, that's what we're talking about. We ended up, because I want to take you through it's in something that whether you ever ordered from Starbucks or you ever go and talk to a lawyer or not, all of us can relate to this. We're taking an example of simple jealousy. And this is the example, because again, what renewing the mind is, is taking what information comes to you and now ordering it, putting it together in an order in your mind based on what God says, not what the person, not what your experience is telling you. So let's use an example of jealousy. Suppose, you know, you've made an appointment with somebody that you've, you know, you feel real close to them and, you know, this is your best friend and, you know, you just really think like you know them and, and, and you've made an appointment to have lunch with them and you've been looking forward to it for a long time, you know, and, and, and they, they call you up that morning and say, I'm real sorry, I can't make it, you know, my, somebody's sick or something like that and uh, whatever it is. And there may be better examples than this, but let's take this example. And you say, oh, okay, I understand, you know, and so you go out to the mall and as you go into the mall, you see this person with someone else that's not their sick aunt. Now that's all you know. Remember we talked about connecting the dots together? Dots are bits of information, but the lines between them are trying to form meaning out of those dots. And we've learned that dots on a picture are like thoughts in our mind. So your mind gets separate thoughts that come to it from all kinds of sources, but your mind is designed in such a way as to arrange those thoughts to form a picture, which we've seen as an image. And the image is what affects you. So remember we've learned, the Bible tells us there's three steps within your mind. There's thoughts, images, and strongholds. 
The strongholds are the, the images that have been in your brain so long and have controlled you so long that they are controlling you. And so you don't go any through a thought process anymore. Your wife looks at you with that look and boom, you blow up because that's a stronghold. Or as I've teared examples from my past. My father called me at 45 years of age about an issue and, and I, I just sat on the phone paralyzed. And my wife said to me, how could you do that? He was talking to you like a child. And I said, when I heard his voice in that tone, I was a 10-year-old child again inside of here. Here I knew I wasn't. But in here, there was still a stronghold in there that when that first thought came, I reacted like that 10-year-old image that I had not managed to change it. Now, I've been working at it, and this was 15 years ago that that happened. It's not the same anymore. But my point is, that's what a stronghold is like. And so, so but, the, but the stronghold is made up of images that have been there very long. We've learned that images only exist in your mind. They're not necessarily, the, they may be true images, but they may not be images of the truth. The only place they exist is in your mind. Remember I put the picture of my granddaughter Emma up there, and I showed you this cute picture of her and said, that's not my granddaughter? That's a picture of my granddaughter. My granddaughter was home in bed. At least I hope so. Now, because, but that's important to understand because if we don't know the difference, we're reacting to images that only exist in our mind. And because they only exist in their mind, they can be changed. But images, we've learned, are, based, are ba- made up of thoughts. Just like photographs are made up of dots, your TV screen is filled with dots. And that's what we've learned. So renewing our mind is the process of changing the images and by changing the strongholds by changing the images, but the way you change the images is by putting in new dots, new thoughts, to form new images, which eventually become new strongholds. Okay, so jealousy. Here's an example. So those are the facts. That's all you know. My good friend, we were supposed to have lunch together, and they told me that they were going to be their sick aunt, see their sick aunt, and now I see them with someone else. My mind begins to connect dots together without knowing any other information. So it's followed by the thought, "Uh aha, they lied to me. Which right away connects to another thought, I can't trust them, which connects to another thought, what do they think of me that they would lie to me? Then we really get into it, oh, they're with that person, they chose to be with that person instead of me, and therefore they like that person better than me. And now the emotion, remember emotions follow thoughts. The emotion of jealousy begins to rise up, and eventually if it's unchecked, it will overtake us. And we'll be so mad at that person, we'll want to tear their head off, and we know nothing of what actually happened. Am I the only people person ever dealt with that? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. So that's what the unrenewed mind does. Here's what the renewed mind does. Same first, same information. Good friend. Had an appointment. Phone call in the morning. They tell you that their mother's grandmother's sick or whoever it is, that they've got to go spend the time with them. You see them in the mall with this other person. That, you see the same thing. Your mind begins to connect things together. So you have the same first thoughts. But when your mind has been renewed, because we're going to learn to renew it to the instruction manual. When your mind has been renewed, your next thought is going to be, oh, wait a minute, what does the Word say about this? Because if my mind's renewed, I've got to learn to think the way God thinks about this situation. 
And the only way I ultimately know what God thinks about it is to give me the manual that He gave full of His thoughts. Remember we started this whole study by looking in Isaiah where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. So we can learn to think His thoughts because He gave them to us in a book. But in order to think His thoughts, we've got to know what His thoughts are, and then we have to choose His thoughts over our thoughts. So the renewed mind, same information, but now the renewed mind's next thought is instead of jumping to conclusions, it says, based on that, what does this book say about that situation? So the renewed mind that spent time in this already knows some answers. First of all, it knows that James 3.14 says that jealousy is a doctrine of demons. Oh, that's important information, isn't it? Remember we talked about the UPS man at the door? When the thoughts come to you, that's like a UPS man at the door. He rings the doorbell, you open the door. You've got the responsibility to choose whether you let that thought, whether you let that package in, or in the case of your mind, whether you let that thought in. And the way to know whether let it is that you let it in is the first way is you look at the return address. You look at where it came from. So James 4.13 tells me where it came from. Every thought that has the emotion of jealousy tied to it, I know the return address is hell. It's a doctrine of demons. The next thing I know right away is John 10.10 says Satan comes only so that he mailed this package to me only. That thought's coming to me only. Steal, kill, or destroy. So I have a choice now. Do I want to be stolen from? killed or destroyed because I have God's word that that's what's in the package. So I know now James tells me that jealousy, where this is headed, the road this is headed down, is a doctrine that's come from demons. I also know that John 13, 34 says that Jesus has commanded me, not asked me, not suggested to me, Not tell me there's blessings attached to it, although there are. He has commanded me to walk in love towards that person. Commanded me. Now it's not just a choice of whether I want a doctrine of demons. It's a choice of whether I'm going to obey somebody who I call my Lord. The term Lord implies I do what He says. It's not just a name. It's a position in my life. It's a status in my life. 1 Corinthians 13 tells me that love is never jealous. Can you see how when I have the scriptures and I know them and I choose to turn to them, now my mind is putting other dots in place to form a different picture, a different image. And then the final thing is based on that I decide I'm going to do what the Word says, not what my own unrenewed mind wants to do. All right. Though that's where we left off. This is a process, and it takes a lifetime to master. But it's got to start somewhere. So if you're starting late in life, that's okay. It's better to start than to stay with your unrenewed mind doing all the things it's been doing. Second thing is you measure your progress by where you start. This is an interesting thing to show you. Some of us were blessed, and it wasn't me, but some of you were blessed 
to get saved right out of the box. I mean, you were, you were a child. You were born in a Christian family, and you were saved at a very early age. And so, you know, you started walking with God at a very early age. So you were already talked about the Word. You had the Word, you know, and you're going along, and you're just doing great. Some of us were going a little further down that road. Because when you heard, came to Christ, you stopped the direction you were going, and all you did is turn around. That's what the word repent means. But you turned around where you were. You didn't turn around where that person who was born in a Christian house, raised in a Christian school, you didn't turn around where they turned around. You turned around where you were going in the direction you were going. So you can't compare your walk with them. You can't compare your walk with them. My wife and I were talking about a, a, a family and in, 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 in how their things have grown in their family. I said, but you've got to remember, they're fifth generation ministry family. Neither of our families knew the Lord. We were the first in our families to come to Christ and it was in our, mid, and it was in our late 30s. So we can't compare ourselves to somebody else and God doesn't do that. But God does compare you with somebody. You. He compares you with where you turned around. Because your progress is measured by where you turned around, not where somebody else is. And so understand it is a process that you start. The moment you come to Christ, it's a process of learning how to renew your mind. Okay. It becomes a lifestyle. And I will end this part of it with a quote from our founding pastor. If you do it, it works. If you don't do it, it doesn't work. Salah. All right. (laughs) Now we're going to, we're still sneaking up on how to renew the mind. (laughs) We've talked about what it means to renew the mind. And now before we get into the actual tools that we're going to talk about for doing it, I want to give you some basic keys or principles to understand that as you do it, and these are to me, as I've studied this and I've looked at these, to me these are, the, 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 in terms of revelation, the most important things that I've learned about this subject. So I'm not going to give them to you in any particular order, but the most important thing is that you don't need to go through them one at a time. These are principles about the process of renewing your mind, which I believe, which I believe will help you. Okay, and I'm going to attempt, I'm going to put this over here now, I'm going to attempt to turn on that screen now, so, whoops, not now, not that way. Ah, whoops, wrong one, excuse me, there we go. These are keys to renewing your mind. And we'll only get, probably get through a few of them this, morning, this evening. First of all, you don't have to master the, any one of these before you go on to the next one. But here's the first one. You need to decide that the Word is the authority in your life. We're going to be using the Word of God as the basis for renewing your mind. We've talked about the fact that what we're doing, the process is, we're going to change the strongholds in your mind 
We're not going, we can't remove the old ones by just going in and surgically ripping them out. Wouldn't that be nice? But what we are going to do is stop feeding the old ones and they'll slowly fade. But we're going to replace them with new ones and those new ones are based on the Word of God. Whereas before, those images that you're dealing with and therefore the strongholds, those came from thoughts, many of which came from sources that were not at your best interest at heart or didn't know God or didn't understand the Word of God. We're going to take purposefully, intentionally, and and with focus, choose thoughts that you are going to put in your mind to build images to replace those old strongholds. So we're going to choose the image, and then we're going to choose the thoughts that make up that image. And those thoughts are going to be God thoughts, because they're based on the Word of God. So here's the challenge. Those words will only have authority in your mind to the degree that the Word itself has authority in your mind. I'll go over that again. The Word that you're going to use to show a, to show a Scripture in yourself... My God will supply all my needs according... Just take a simple one. You know, God loves you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved me. For so many of us, that's a stronghold to believe that God just really loves me just the way I am. The only way you're going to change that image unless God supernaturally appears to you, and even if He does, that experience will begin to fade. The only thing that's lasting is when you renew your mind to the truth of the Word of God. So to take a scripture and begin to put that scripture into you the way those other thoughts are put into you, it will only have the power to do this to the extent that that Word already has authority in your life. So if the Word of God is somebody's opinion about you, it's going to have the same weight in your mind that other people's opinion have about you. So if you read the Word of God and you say, well, that's what the Word says, but other people say so-and-so, then what your mind, your attitudes towards the Word is, whether you realize it or not, is this Word is just one view of things. And the concern I have is so, so many of our young people are growing up, coming out of church, coming out of, out of teen ministries and, and all over the place with that attitude, well, what they teach here is just one view that immediately undercuts the authority of the Word and puts other belief systems on the same level. See, the world doesn't mind you believing that Jesus is just one of the great people, teachers. Only problem is, you know, He doesn't give you that option. You understand Jesus doesn't give you the option of saying He's a, just, he's a great man or a great, one of the great prophets because He said that He was the Son of God. That leaves only two choices. He either is who he says he is, or he's a liar or a fool. If he's a liar or a fool, he's not a great prophet. He did purposely did not give us the option of believing that he's just a great man unless you just take him in the terms you want him to and not on the terms he gave us. And the same is true with the Word of God. It's either the authority in your life or it's just a nice book. If it's just a nice book, why waste your time coming to church? Just have a good time. I mean, just enjoy life to the extent... Get the most out of life you can, and when it's over, hey, it's over. 
Because either this word is the truth or it's not. If it's not the truth, if it's not the truth, then it's an opinion. If it's an opinion or it's a series of stories or it's suggestions, then it doesn't have the same level of authority that it does if it is God speaking to me. And it makes all the difference in the world in what the Word of God is able to do in your life. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's the author of this book. It is God's revelation of Himself to us. It is God's instruction to us. It is God's seed to be sown in our lives, to change our lives. It is an everlasting word. It is an unchangeable word. It is a living word. It is the word of God spoken to us. But here's the challenge we have. We like to treat it like a buffet. You know what a buffet is? You can pick what you want based on what looks the best, based on what looks the sweetest. And as I mentioned, Sunday what we tend to do is start at the dessert end so that we make sure we've got room to get it in. And then we work and pick the things that we like the best. But you can't take the Word of God as a buffet. You either take it all or you take none of it in terms of its authority. So we like some words, but we don't like them in all their applications. So we like the word all when it says, my God shall supply all my needs. We'll emph- all, all my needs. We'll meditate on that all. But when the same word says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, we don't like that word all. Now here's the problem. Your mind, your mind understands your attitude towards the word. So we think we fool it. But if this word does not have that ultimate authority to you, your mind will take every all or every word and water it down. Last week I was spending time, or I've been spending time going through the book of Acts. And I was reading in the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter uh, uh, 3 it is, I think it is, where, where Paul, Peter, and John go into the temple. And, they, and this, they've got this man who's asking alms, and, and Peter says, you know, I don't have money with me, but what I do have, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then when he was called on the carpet for it, he said, I didn't do this in my own piety, in my own goodness. It was faith in that name that made this man whole. Let me ask you a question, because Jesus said, whatever. Jesus said, whatever. That's open-ended. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Whatever. Now let me ask you a question, and i got to raise my... How many of you have ever said something in the name of Jesus and it didn't happen? The rest of you are liars. Or you never prayed. (laughs) And here's a great example of that. The Word of God says, whatever you ask Him in His name, obviously it can't be something that's contrary to His will. 
But whatever you ask, but most of us are not going to ask for crazy things. We're going to ask for things, ask, pray for healing for somebody. That's obviously God's will. And you pray for that in the name of Jesus. And say, well, why didn't it happen? Because how do you see the name of Jesus? What does it mean to you? I mean, to be really honest with you, most of us take it in vain. Now, see, we think in vain means swearing. But in vain means vanity, emptiness, no effect, no, 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 no meaning behind it. So when we pray, and we're all, I'm guilty of this, as I'm sure all of us are, we pray this wonderful prayer, and at the end we say, and in the name of Jesus, amen. Without thinking about what that name is, and who it represents, and what's been given to us. And here's the problem. Because that name is so casual on our lips, when we go to invoke it, to exercise the authority of that name, our mind doesn't suddenly change its level of authority and raise it up to the level that Jesus meant it. But it still thinks in the same terms when you use that name all the time. The same is true with the Word. I read the Word and I feel blessed by the Word, but I have no intention of doing it. I could meddle here, but it would be uncomfortable for all of us. The end of uh, Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 33, God's commissioned him and set him out and said, I've given you words to speak to the people and they're going to gather around you and they're going to listen to you. Oh, God, that's so great. I have a nice congregation. They're all going to listen to me. Yeah. And when you're done, they're going to applaud you and they're going to say what a great message it was and they're going to leave with no intention of doing it. He goes on and says, and I'm going to modernize it into our terms, that's no different than going to anything where you're entertained. And here's the point. If all we do is hear the word, whether it's reading it or listening to messages, and we have no intent of applying it in our lives, it's Christian entertainment. We've come here to feel better. And what we do is we've taken the Word of God and lowered it to a level of authority where we're using the Word of God like you would an aspirin or an ointment to to heal some wound or just something that makes you feel better like a good cup of coffee. We're using the Word of God for our purposes to make us feel better. Because I'm in the same boat. We all do this. And we wonder why, when we speak it, nothing happens. Because it's not that God's not going to honor it. We're not speaking it in faith, even though we feel faith. Because the level of authority that word has in our everyday life is really not that high. And now we try to pull it up and use it in a situation, then you can't suddenly change that attitude by flipping a switch. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So that's my point. We're going to use the Word of God to become stronghold in us, but it can't become any stronger than the authority that Word already has in your life. See, I know you came tonight hoping I was just going to give you a pill you could take and you'd go home and your whole mind would be washed over. It's work. (laughs) It confronts things in our life 
that we need to change. Okay. So you've got to decide that the Word is the authority in your life above what you want, above what your, everybody around you thinks is right, above the opinions of the world, above the opinions of your family, that the Word of God is the truth. The Word only has power in your life to the extent that you give it authority. The Word only has power in your life to the extent that you give it authority in every area. Without this step, your mind will argue with things that you put in it. This is a decision to settle ahead of time what that word's going to mean to you. It's not an emotion. All right, that's the first key. This next one we'll probably just get into. The next one, next key to get to renewing your mind is to get control of it. To some of you that may look like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know where it was. Now I got some idea where it is. Now you're telling me to get control of it? Let me put it this way. You can't renew something you can't control. Right after we got saved, we got a little dog. Her name was Mandy. Mandy was a cute little black, all black um, uh, miniature poodle. And Mandy moved with us to Oklahoma, moved with us all over the place. This was really a member of our family, and we had been told... And we don't know a whole lot about dogs, but we've been told that you know that miniature poodles can be a little skittish and a little, and and but somebody really helped us by saying just treat them as part of your family. So this was the cutest little thing, and we we, we hadn't been saved very long, and uh, and so this had this dog and just friendly dog. The only, the only problem was you couldn't let her out because she wouldn't come back when you wanted her to. She was, and we lived in we lived right outside of Boston. We were in a very dense uh, uh, community. And, um, and, and if she got out, she was out. And um, God had begun to talk to me about being the head of the household, because I didn't know any of that, because I wasn't raised in a family where the, Muslim, that, the household was dysfunctional, let alone have a head to it. And, and so, so I, didn't under, I didn't know all that. I was never trained in that. But I began to discover that I was to be the head of the household. And I didn't even know what that means, so I just began to ask God, what does that mean to be the head of, a, of the household? And God's so simple. He gave me a simple answer. It wasn't the one I liked, but it was a simple answer. He says, to be the head means you do it first. That's easy to remember. <laughs> it just means you do it first. You set the example. And, um, and I began to pray about God. What does it mean now? I'm, all right, I'm taking the responsibility. What do, what, what do I need to do? To get, get, what do I need to do to, 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 to step into this position? I want to do it. God, here I am. I've got, we, at that point, we had two children, and I think there were about seven and, about, and, and five or four, four and a half. God, here I am. I'm taking my place as the head of this household. I want your wisdom, God, of how do I get things in order. And this is what I heard start with a dog. Start with a dog. 
Because the Lord said, if the least thing in your house is out of control, then your house is out of control. This all came to for focus in one night. Remember, she can't get outside because if she's outside, she's gone. <laughs> I'm going to turn that off because we're not going to get to the next one. <laughs> I knew that. We had dear friends that had led us to the Lord and we were having a Bible study with them once a week and they'd come over to the house you know, after supper, and we'd have, you know, coffee and refreshments, and then we'd sit around and, and kind of do the charismatic thing back then, you know, we'd pray together, and we'd fellowship and talk, and during this whole night, this was one particular night, it was a cold, bitter New England night, and we had this nice bean bag, and we're all kind of sitting around on the floor again doing the charismatic thing, and, and some of you don't know what that is, and, um, and all through the night, Mandy's curled up on this bean bag and didn't move. Nice and warm. About midnight, the couple gets up and gets ready to leave. And as they're getting to go out the door, Mandy's head goes up. Now, I'm tired. I've worked all day. It's midnight, and I'm ready to go to bed. Anita's already headed up the stairs, and that other couple's gone out the door. Mandy's been sleeping all night. Done not much all day. And Mandy's decided it's time to play. I wasn't ready to play. And so as I'm saying goodbye to them, I turned to close the door and something went past my eyes and I looked down and here's this dark streak went out the door. And I'm thinking, oh no. Oh no. Now here's an example of putting dots together. I immediately became anxious, immediately followed by angry, and nothing had happened yet because my mind was already projecting what was going to happen. And it did. So I closed it. I keep the door so I can get in. And, and just to get the picture of this, our house was, on a, on a, it was from here to the front row to the street, from the front door. This is just about what it was like. And, but, but about where the end of this platform is was a hedge about four feet high. Nice and thick at the top, but the bottom was a bunch of trunks. And Mandy goes out around the other side of the hedge. <laughs> I can still see it, and I can still feel the anger. She, she go out around the Now, it's, it's probably 20 degrees outside. We've been in a warm house all night. She's been sleeping. She's out in this fresh air, ready to play and have fun. I'm not. And she goes outside and stands at the end and looks back at me like this. And I'm trying to think of, I know if I go right after her, she's going to run. So I'm going to play this cool. So I just kind of slowly walk down and say, hello, Mandy, come on, sweetheart. It's time to go in. Daddy needs to go to bed. I didn't call myself daddy, but you know, I need to go to bed. Don't get me going on that. I need to go to bed. Come on, come on. And I got this close to her and she went around the other side of the hedge. And now I'm on this side of the hedge and she's on the other side of the hedge like this. And I'm trying to go around. So I walk all the way around the outside of the hedge. Come here, Mandy. And she waits until I'm that close and she slips through the hedge. 
and I'm on this side now. Come here, Mandy. And she's there. <laughs> After three or four times of this, I realize she's going that far, and I'm walking all around the outside of the hedge. We can do this all night. And I don't know how long I did this before, and every time I do this, I'm getting madder because I have no control. I'm angry because I have no control, and I'm now in what is an impossible... The little dogs in control of what I'm doing outside, probably 12.30 at night, and I lost it. I'm yelling at this dog. I'm screaming at the top of my... I am so mad. Anita wondered, what is going on out there? And I finally realized... That dog can freeze out there as far as I'm concerned. And I walked in the house. I was so mad, so mad. I got up, and I'm telling you the absolute truth. I got up there, and I got into bed, and I said, God, deliver that dog into my hands, and I'll strangle it. And no sooner did I said that than the dog jumped up on my chest. My hands went around her throat. I wasn't going to kill her. I was just angry, and I was, God says, who are you angry at? And I realized I wasn't angry at the dog. It wasn't the dog's fault. It was my fault. And now I knew what he meant by saying I had to start with the dog. So I went and found a place called an obedience school. (laughs) Saturday morning... John and Mandy go to obedience school. Now, I've got to tell you what this was like. There were probably 25 other dogs in there. Most of them were full-size dogs, like German shepherds. And I was probably one of two or three males. The rest were mothers. And the owner said, typically what happens is they'll get a big dog that's out of control, and Dad sends Mom with the dog to the dog training school while he stays home. I learned some very important lessons in that school. The first thing I learned is obedience school was not to teach the dogs obedience. It was to teach me obedience. Because I can't teach the dog something that I don't know. The second thing I learned is this, one of the things this teacher said, who'd been doing this for years, he says, I can teach any dog obedience. He says, so I went up to him at a break and I said, I got a father-in-law that has a 12-year-old full-size dog that's the most out-of-control thing. And I said, you know, he said, you can't teach old dog new tricks. He said, oh, I can. It just takes longer. And it takes determination. One of the lessons I learned is that the first break, two German shepherds went at each other. And the mothers, and that's what they were, they were trying to pull them apart like this, one on one side and the other on the other side like this. And the the owner comes over and says, bring them to me. And he grabbed each of these by the choke collar. And the choke collar's not going to hurt them. It's just going to get their attention. And he planted his foot in the middle. And he, he went, lifted them up off the ground, pushed their faces together, shook them back and forth and says, no, and slammed them down. And they sat there and looked at him like this. So I'm getting the hang of this. So the first thing they teach you to do is they teach you to 
walk the dog and to have the dog heel, which is to walk, I think it's at your right side, right by your heel. And the idea is to get to do that with even without, without a... Uh, they wanted, they, the, the goal of obedience school is for you to... In the first series of lessons is to bring you to the place where the dog will do something because you said so. So the whole purpose of training... I'm telling you, this was so good for me. The whole purpose of training was to train the dog to obey your words. The leash was a tool to bring them to that place. We started the first day, and you'd have them walk around, you know, heel, heel like this, you know. And if they got out of line, the idea was this, you gave them the command first. If they didn't give them the command, if they didn't obey the command, then you gave them the correction because you want to train them to obey the command and learn if they don't obey the command, they're going to get a correction. By the way, God works that way too. So I'm walking around, smallest dog in the group, and I'm watching how he does this. Well, the first time, me, and you know, the German shepherd would go and he plant the foot, and he, no, and pull the dog back like that. So we're going around one time, I said, Mandy Heels, she started walking. I said, no, and I went like that, and pulled her back with the same, this poor dog went flying off the ground, <laughs> came up against my leg and looked at him and be like, what did I do? <laughs> but here's why most of them didn't succeed. It wasn't what we learned in the Saturday morning class. We had to do that twice a day, every day. And I was determined because the motivation wasn't to have a dog that was under control. It was because God told me to start with the dog. Now, I don't put collars on my kids and things like that. It was a discipline that I was... It was establishing discipline in the house, order in the house. You don't have to do a lot to do that. You don't need 400 rules. All you need is a few you enforce. And then there's order. By the time, and I, would, I did this every morning I got up. I didn't want to get out there some mornings. I did it every meeting before I went to bed. I faithfully, consistently took her around on those paces. And by the time we came to the end of, the, I think it was six weeks, this is what she got, learned to do. This is the dog I couldn't let out of the house. We had a cat across the street. Daffy, was that the name? Had one green eye and one blue eye. And Daffy loved to torment dogs. Daffy was about as big as Mandy. And I had Mandy trained to the point that I could go out in that yard without a leash and have Mandy sit there and say, sit, stay. And I'd walk over here and she would sit there and one, I had this, the cat, I didn't train, but the cat came up one time and saw this dog in a sitting position and decided to see what she could do to get that dog to move. She came up around it, sniffed the dog, and man, he's sitting there, <laughs> shaking all over, looking at, but looking at me the whole time for permission of whether I was going to release her to go after the cat. And you want to know whether I gave it to her, don't you? I'm not going to tell you. Here's the point of all that. If I can take an out-of-control dog, listen to me, if I can take an out-of-control, an out-of-control dog and train that dog to sit with a cat in front of it when I couldn't even let it out of the house, how much more can we take the Word of God 
and, simply, and get control of our mind. But the same things I had discipline, I had to develop to, to, to train Mandy. It's the same discipline that we have to exercise to get control of our mind. And that's why most people don't do it. It's too much work. It's too, much, too easier to just let the mind go. And yet the mind out of control has gotten you where you are. And there's no substitute for getting your mind under control in order to go on with the things of God to where He wants to take you. There's no shortcut. There's no one... No, no, we can't lay hands on you. It's going to happen. I wish I could. But the Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're going to pick up and finish this point next week, and then we're going to go on. There are four others we're going to go other that are very similar to this. Basic understandings, which I call keys to renewing your mind. That if you have these understandings, you, we have to have these principles down in order to effectively apply the tools. What we've tried to do, because you'll find, discover that the tools I'm going to teach you, and I've told you this before, are nothing new. What we've not done before is lay the foundation that we're giving you here. These principles will help you implement these tools so that they will work and change your life by changing the Word of God, planting the Word of God into you.